The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. The weekend is nearly here. It's Friday on Fantasy NBA Today. Good to be talking about fantasy sports again here on a show with the word fantasy in its name. I am Dan Vespris, and we are going to basically dive right on in. For those that haven't been listening to the last couple of episodes, just a very quick recap on what we've got going on on the podcast right now. We're in a brand new segment of this show because normally... This is the type of stuff we would have already covered in our post-mortem season. But of course, that happened in April, May, and parts of June when seasons hadn't actually ended yet. The reason that that's important is that part of post-mortem is analyzing how a team performed relative to expectations and what that means for the players on said team the following year. We weren't able to do that in March, April, May, and June, so we're doing it now. And it's a little bit more a bridge. You know, we're doing three, four, five teams per show as opposed to just the one team per episode. But to me, this still remains an important fact, an important tidbit you need to file away for next season's fantasy draft. For example, teams we've covered so far uh, on this this episode, I think we've got as far as the Grizzlies on yesterday's show, is basically what do these teams take away from this year and how does that impact in most importantly in my estimation how much they use their superstars the following year so you know a team like the Clippers they have something to prove a team like the Blazers they're gonna want to have a higher seed because of home court advantage and and actually getting their healthy bodies back a little bit whereas on the flip side a team like the Lakers who went full bore during the regular season this most recent year, probably not so much, looking ahead towards next year. We also had some news that yesterday, boy, that was a busy news-breaking day. After we finished our podcast, we covered most of the big pieces on yesterday's show. The Daryl Morey step down in Houston was certainly the biggest uh, nugget of Thursday. The, uh, The other big thing that dropped on Thursday and it dropped about a half an hour after I finished recording the show was that the Clippers were set to hire Teron Liu, Ty Liu. Everybody just calls him Ty nowadays. Now that he's a coach, he's not Teron anymore. Uh, Ty Liu uh, sounds like it's going to be a five-year deal. That is the initial indicator. Uh, Chauncey Billups, Larry Drew among the assistants set to come along with Liu in Los Angeles to helm the Clippers for the next half decade. And Dave Yeager, is set to join Doc Rivers' staff in Philadelphia as an assistant. So that's actually a, a, a smaller thing because he's an assistant coach and he's not going to be taking the reins from someone as ingrained in basketball and what his teams are doing as Doc Rivers, but it's still, it's not nothing. So very quickly on the Jaeger front, he was, he, he doesn't take any funny business from his players. We know that, but I don't think that's going to be a big key in Philadelphia. Doc was already going to be holding those guys accountable. The, the bigger thing with Jaeger is, does he bring any of the philosophies he brought to Sacramento to Philadelphia? And my guess is not really. Philly can get out and run. They can. Ben Simmons, 
forcing steals can lead to fast break opportunities. But ultimately, Joel Embiid is the lead horse on that team, and they don't really want him sprinting up and down the court the entire ballgame. That's, that's a good way to run his legs ragged, and they need him to stay healthy as long as possible. So, you know, I don't want to put too much on the Dave Yeager thing. I think, you know, he's a guy that runs in a long line of Sacramento head coaches who've been drummed out of town in strange fashion, uh, but he did latch on somewhere, so, you know, good for him. Meanwhile, Luke Walton just continues to get, he's, he's like a cat at this point, just nine lives Luke Walton, going from place to place, losing basketball games. The Ty Lue news is obviously the bigger piece of the puzzle from yesterday, and we... Uh, when when Doc Rivers was fired, which I think was about two weeks ago now, although, ah, who knows? Time is time is fleeting at this point. Uh, I I asked aloud to no one because most of the stuff I do here is me talking to myself. I asked aloud, "What is it going to take to get Ty Lue the job?" Because by all accounts. He was a guy that could have easily been a head coach already this most recent year if the Lakers were willing to give him five years, which they were not. But then he's second in command or whatever you want to call it of a Clippers team that just completed maybe the worst meltdown in in NBA playoff history. Certainly up there. Top three, top five. There's almost no arguing at this point. Clippers, who you could certainly say probably the most talented team in the NBA this year going up three to one and then losing three games in a row is, is unheard of. So the question I posed on the podcast, and it's not as though I have an answer to this question, but I still throw it out there is, you know, if Ty Lu was the assistant coach on the team that just melted down and let go of their head coach, largely because of that meltdown, how is it that he brings a new philosophy to the table. And I'm not I'm not saying that it can't be done because clearly he's convinced Clippers brass that that's what's going to happen. But I can also assume, I think we can all assume safely that he had Doc Rivers' ear during the regular season and the playoffs. That he brings credentials to the table. Those guys have each won a championship. And... So while Doc is obviously making the final calls and whatever you want to say they were that that led to the Clippers' meltdown, was it playing too much Montrez Harrell in the playoffs? Was it Lou Williams not wanting to be there? Was it Paul George not wanting to be there? Was it Montrez not wanting to be there? Was it Kawhi's injury and him slowing down markedly as the series goes along and he doesn't have a two- or three-day rest in between games to sort of get right on his, his leg issues? There are a lot of things that went into it. Lack of adjustments was another thing that went into it. Maybe the biggest piece of the puzzle. No real adjustments from the Clippers' side. At the same time, you know, they went up by 16 and 19 points in two of those games. So I don't know that adjustments were really the, the focal point. They, they were fine. The Clippers should have probably won six out of those seven games they played, and they only won three because of meltdowns. You know, the one game where they just didn't have it was... Uh, well, there was the early loss that, what was that, game two or three? And then game seven, they just had, they didn't have anything in the tank for that one either. But 
you know, look at game six and say, well, they should have made an adjustment. I mean, they were up by almost 20 points in that game. They were, they were whomping. All they needed to do was have the intestinal fortitude to take a Denver run and counterpunch a little bit. They didn't. So I can only assume, and again, this isn't me saying that Tyloo is not the right person for the job, because by all accounts, his pedigree seems to indicate that he would be a great fit for that team. And if he wasn't on Doc Rivers' coaching staff, I think you'd, you'd dive right in, right? Like if he's coming from either another team or maybe was taking the year off and he was like, here's all the things that I can do. They'd be like, oh, sweet, those things sound great. You're hired. But when you... There's just a weird optics thing that goes on when you're the second in command of a team that just completed a horrible meltdown and the, and the criticism is that, uh, you know, the team wasn't making adjustments, the coach was playing guys the wrong number of minutes. If you're the lead assistant on that team, some of that blame does have to fall on you. Did he, and we'll never know the answer to this question, did he say to Doc Rivers at any point during that playoff series, hey, here's something we should do. Here's the, you know, five or six minutes every game where we're getting manhandled. We need to make this adjustment here. And Doc said no. Or did he just never bring it up thinking, eh, it'll be fine. And then after the fact, he goes to the, he goes into this interview and he's like, here's all the things that I've now figured out we should have done. It's just a weird dynamic. How do you get that job without at least partially throwing your former boss under the bus a little bit. He almost has to, which, you know, kind of sucks for Ty Lue to get the job, but business is business, I guess, as the uh, the Wunstler tried to teach us in the Lorax. Business is business. You kind of have to go in there and say, here's the things I tried to tell Doc that he wouldn't do. Put me in charge now, and I will do them. Which is a little bit crummy. For all parties involved. But I don't see how you get that job without convincing Steve Ballmer that uh, there were things you wanted to do that the other guy wouldn't let you. Again, I have no idea how true any of these things might be, but I just, I don't see how, I don't see how you get that job without saying, here's things that I would have done that were not done. Make me the top guy instead of the number two guy. I will make sure these things get done. How do, you, how do you get that job in another way? I'm open to know. I just don't see it. And I do think Ty Lue's probably the right guy for the job, but, I mean, does that mean he was holding back during the playoffs? Was he not being listened to? Whatever it was, it doesn't, it doesn't look good from the outside. If we ignore all of that, this is a great hire for the Clippers. Ty Lue has uh, strong credentials, particularly an offensive creativity, which the Clippers desperately needed. Take turns offense is only as good as your two superstars taking turns, and, you know, when one or two of them is struggling or whatever the hell was going on in the playoffs, you, you, you saw some cracks getting exposed a little bit. Uh, this will be, I think, for Lou, this will be good for the Clippers getting their other guys involved a little bit more. So that's probably a very small plus mark on the non-superstars. That would be my guess. How it impacts their fantasy value, I don't know that it does, because Clippers were so top-heavy that 
you know, you you take what you take. We have to wait to find out if Montrez Harrell's coming back before we can assess if it's a Zubots, who to me is still probably the the next closest thing to having consistent fantasy value. Patrick Beverly is sort of right on the cusp as well, but depending on what they do at the point guard spot and Beverly's declining ability to actually play more than 60 games in a season, that does make him a harder sell right now. And that's for me, someone who, you know, I adore the Pat Beverly backwards fantasy line type of guy. Those guys are those guys are great for Roto. Pick up stats in weird places. It's beautiful. I love it. Um, go check out my bookie. .ag. Did any of you guys get into the blackjack tournament yesterday? I ran out of time, which is a pisser because, again, it was free and could have had some fun with it, but whatever. Missed one. It's okay. It'll be back. They have them basically every single day. Uh, no, that's not true. They have one, I think, they have, like, one bigger one that runs all week, and then they had one Wednesday that ran for uh, 14 hours, and they had one Thursday that ran for 12 hours or something like that. So they pop up from time to time. Um, it's really cool. It's really fun. <laughs> These these free tournaments like just pop in, bet huge. It doesn't matter, and uh, who knows? You might win twenty five, thirty, fifty bucks, something like that, just for screwing around with it. When you sign up, make sure to use promo code Hoopball so they know who sent you. Hoopball is the promo code. MyBookie.ag is the website. It's really easy to sign up. You can deposit with credit card or Bitcoin if you understand that. I don't. I deposited with my credit card. It was relatively easy. Uh, some of you might have uh, an international block on your credit card. All you got to do is just call the number real quick, tell them it was you, authorize it, boom, you're good to go. Cash outs are also very easy. We've gotten that question a lot. How easy is the cash out? Uh, quite easy. I could do it right now if I wanted to, but I'm waiting for some pending wagers to finish up. Actually, it says I have two open bets, but I don't know what the other one is right now. Isn't there only one? What the hell is my other pending bet? Hello? Or maybe it's, uh, you know what? I bet it's the contest that I'm in. They've got contests that ran, you, you know, you guys, if you'd, you're too late now, by the way, to get into the contest because it was a uh, an NFL survivor pool and there's a ton of money on the line for that one. So they've got all these cool things going on that require no money to enter. Like you could put your, your bare minimum $45 stuff in there. You don't even have to bet that if you don't want. You can just let that sit and try to accrue money playing their free games. And then cash out and make money that way. It's fun. It's really cool. Uh, MyBookie.ag promo code again uh, is HoopBall. And with that, we dive back into our continuing analysis of what teams did this last year and what that might mean for their players trickling forward. The Phoenix Suns is where we pick up today, and that's a really interesting one, and it's why I didn't want to just jump into it at the tail end of yesterday's show. Phoenix by all accounts this year, was dead in the water. They were 26-39 and going into the bubble. DeAndre Ayton had uh, sat through a suspension this year. Devin Booker was actually having, um, by all accounts, a a pretty good season, actually. Uh, Quietly. I wouldn't call it a great season. And then he, he ratcheted up come bubble time. Kelly Oubre Jr. had a really good year prior to his meniscus injury. Ricky Rubio had a really good season. Mikhail Bridges had a really good year as his minutes trended up while the season was rumbling along. So from a fantasy perspective, Phoenix was kind of a goldmine. Oddly, though, their two big dogs, you would argue DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker, 
from a per game perspective, I think you could say both underperformed. From a totals perspective, you finally got a largely healthy year out of Devin Booker. That's a pretty big deal. He played 70 games over the course of the year, averaged 26.5 points, four boards, 6.5 assists. Turnovers were still too high, but trending in the right direction, and then really good percentages, which covered up the fact that he does not get any defensive stats. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, 18 and 11.5, 2.2 defensive stats, good field goal percent, okay free throw percent uh, for a big man, certainly not terrible there. But playing in only 38 games was a rather large buzz kill. In sort of the look ahead for this team, I would have said, if we if we didn't have the bubble to add on, I would have said, ah, well, you know, this is a team that got off to a quick start and then faded. And so going into next year, they're a team that's going to be attempting to take a step forward. But they kind of did in the bubble. They kind of did take a step forward in the bubble. The... uh. Those last eight games, and by the way, it wasn't Aiton that was the guy taking the step forward in the bubble. In fact, he was pretty bad. He was number 79 in the league over those eight games, 15 points, nine and a half rebounds. Defensive stats were down. Free throw shooting was down. Attempts were down. He was seemingly a little bit disinterested, frankly. Devin Booker, 20 and a half shots. His percentages were crazy good. Turnovers were far lower. Uh, Mikhail Bridges was solid. In the bubble, he got almost 10 shots a game, which is a big deal for him. You know the defensive stats are always going to be there for Bridges. Rubio, his minutes were down. They wanted to protect him because they didn't really think they were going to have a chance, and then they ultimately got pretty close, but he had 13, 5, and 8. And overall, the bubble, they won all eight of their games, and so this is a team now that is just itching to get to next year. They are going to be fired up, and they are going to be great fantasy assets. I think the big question mark with Phoenix is what happens to the wing situation when Ubre's playing again? Because dude was playing like 33, 34 minutes a game most of the year. He got hurt. Cam Johnson ended up having a pretty big bubble season by whatever it was. I think he made like all, what, 11 of his free throws. And, you know, he went uh, 40 for 80 from the field during the bubble. These are things that are probably not fully sustainable. And then particularly the 32 and a half minutes is not sustainable because those are Ubre's wing minutes when he comes back. That way, I think, I guess would be the only question there, but you know, it feels like Ubre should have another decent season. Maybe not quite as prolific as this year. If some of the other guys on that team take a very small step forward, Deandre Aiden is probably going to get overdrafted. Booker is probably going to get overdrafted. But the thing is, I don't think anybody's going to be a huge letdown on this team. You know, Booker's probably not going to be, uh, top 15 kind of guy on a per game basis the way he was in the bubble because he just went huge and doing that for an entire however many games season is going to be difficult but I think he wants to play as many games as possible I think they all do because Phoenix is smelling it this is their this is their year they get over the hump that's how they feel right now the Lakers the Clippers the Nuggets uh, the the Mavs the Blazers how the hell many teams is that five uh, are are almost definitely guaranteed playoff spots if they're relatively healthy. I would argue you could maybe call the Rockets number six because they're just sort of always in there. The Jazz are absolutely going to be fighting for a spot. I don't know if they're going to have the same. Oh, was it a cakewalk to the sixth seed this year? I mean, I there was this big drop off 
that I don't think is going to exist next season. These teams are all going to be beating up on each other. And so teams like the Grizzlies, the Suns, the Spurs, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Warriors are going to be back in there. It's going to be a fight, man. The West is going to be a fight. The Suns know that, and I think they feel like they can get up near that eight. And I don't know about the seven, because there's there's going to be sort of a top chunk. But who knows with that team? They're going to be focused, I think, next year. And so I like the idea that these guys are going to play as many games as possible. I don't think you're going to see many rest days for this team. Uh, and I think you're going to see pretty big minutes for the starters as they try to get off to a quick start and then try to maintain. Interestingly, I think the Spurs are kind of on the other side of the ledger. This is a team that's been basically shopping their stars now. So I don't, you know, I they didn't make the playoffs this year. That snapped a very long streak for San Antonio. And I think there's a certain kind of backwardsism to finally having that storyline end. Now that they, they don't have to make the playoffs, I don't know that they're really going to be hell-bent on doing it. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh... Moving their various guys is not going to be simple, and you know how much I love the old men of the San Antonio Spurs. LaMarcus Aldridge had a great year prior to his injury. DeMar DeRozan had a really good year. He overperformed. But it's probably about time for this team to turn the page a little bit. And the reason I bring that up is it does make me a bit nervous. If LaMarcus Aldridge gets traded, his role likely decreases. If DeMar DeRozan gets traded, his role likely decreases wherever he goes. I would be more inclined on this Spurs team to lean young, to lean Derek White, who had a brilliant bubble. Uh, oddly, Rudy Gay actually had a really good bubble season, but you know we have to wait through free agency and trades and so forth to see where these types of guys go. DeJounte Murray had a crummy bubble, but largely because he just couldn't shoot. He was at 39%. If you click that up to its normal mark, he would have been excellent as well. Uh, Jakob Pertl, people were overdrafting him in the bubble because they thought he was just going to play like 35 minutes a game, but we knew that wasn't going to happen. Trey Lyles might see some more action next year. I think this is a Spurs season looking forward where you fade the superstars. The Kings. The Sacramento Kings. New coach? No. New front office? Yes. Free agency is going to play a big role with this organization, with this team. They are, to me, one of the biggest enigmas in the NBA every season because you just have no idea what the hell they're going to do. Logic is the way we, we count on things. We're handicapping with logic, but I really don't know. I think De'Aaron Fox is going to have a big year. Um, he played really well in the bubble and to sort of at least try to atone for what he had been doing over the course of the season. There was the injuries and he slow start and all that stuff. Uh, Rashawn Holmes should have a, a decent bench role on this team. I don't know what the hell's going on with Buddy Heald. I don't know what's going to happen with Nemanja Bjelica. Harrison Barnes is going to get way too much activity. Marvin Bagley should be healthy. There are a lot of questions on that Sacramento roster. But without digging into the will they do what's best for their actual chances of winning, just from a is this team going to be hard competitive this coming year? I think they want to be. So I think they're going to convince themselves they can fight for that eight seed as long as humanly possible. With that in mind, if you're looking at a bubble team, meaning heh, bubble team take on a different meaning this year, if you're looking at a team that's kind of on the bubble for getting into the playoffs, that's a team that's going to be playing their guys until they're mathematically eliminated. 
last two, three, four games of the season. So I think you can aim for a pretty big number. So De'Aaron Fox is probably going to be a pretty safe play. Um, beyond that, I don't know about safe plays. We had to see what they do with Buddy Heald and Bogdan Bogdanovich. We can't dig into individual guys all that well. What I do think we can say about the Kings is that they're going to be pushing. And the same thing can be said for the Pels. The Pels, uh, they're still hunting for their next head coach, but that's a team that's going to be pushing as well. Problem for New Orleans is they may try to move Drew Holiday to get younger there. Uh, what is Lonzo Ball's role? He was really good with Zion, but he's had some issues staying healthy. Brandon Ingram got squeezed when Zion came back. Uh, will they bring in any other centers on that roster? There are a lot of free agency and trade idea question marks with the Pels, but suffice it to say that if they if they don't unload all of their veterans, that's a team that's going to be pushing hard for the playoffs too. I don't think they make it. I don't think they're there yet, but you want teams where guys are going to be playing hard and trying to get to that next stage, and they're probably the last ones on that list. By the way, I did not mention the Warriors because to me they're not that's not like a push to make the playoffs kind of roster. They're they're gonna be they don't have to make that that big surge. Uh, Warriors are the last team in the Western Conference we're going to talk about. So um, let's try to actually knock out the rest of the West today, and then we'll save the Eastern Conference for some stretches of next week. The Timberwolves. So this is an interesting one because they were horrible, and uh, they went 19-45 and 45 this year. Cat finally missed basketball games. He only played in 35 of their games this year. They did trade for his good buddy, D'Angelo Russell, which was great for morale, They've fixed up their, or they've, they've, they've managed to get high draft picks. So they could be really interesting. Um, I don't think this is a playoff team next year. I know they have some really talented young players, but I don't see anyone on that team playing any defense. And in the West, it's just too deep. So if you're looking for me to tell you these guys are going to be going max effort 82 games. I don't think I can. I think they're going to go high effort early. You know, when everybody's 0-0, zero and zero, when nobody has a single win or a loss on their ledger, they're tied with everybody. But over the first couple of months, even if they get on a little spurt, they're going to lose basketball games, and they're going to start to realize that they are cut below the teams that are actually fighting for that eighth seed in the Western Conference. And when that reality sets in, you're going to see rest. You're going to see lower effort. You're going to see some pretty big fantasy lines because they're probably not going to be guarding anybody. But to me, there is a built-in risk on a team that's probably not going to be that good. So is Cat still going to be a top fantasy performer? Absolutely. Is there fear with him around, well, what would have normally been late March, early April, whenever the hell the silly season is this coming year? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. You know, if you have, like, the fifth pick and you're debating between Cat and, I don't know, Dame or something like that, one of those guys, you know, Cat's always going to be the guy who has the uh, the higher per-game ceiling, and Dame was better than him on a per-game basis this year, but, you know, that's just because Lillard was insane all year long and and Cat fell apart, had injuries, and his minutes trended down. Uh, in, a, in a normal season... Cat's going to have the per-game edge. 
you know, look at the previous year. Dame was number 12. Cat was number five on a per-game basis. They both played a lot of games that year, but that's more what you're looking at in general. But because of some of these looming issues with Minnesota, you have to reassess a little bit. Would I go one way or the other there? I might still go Cat just because, you know, what if what if Dame gets hurt and misses two weeks? Then you're sort of a push at that point. Um, but just from a, in a head-to-head league in particular, he's probably not going to be there for your finals. That's tough to stomach. And then the other guys, you know, Cat, to say overdrafted, underdrafted, he's going to go inside the top five, and that's where he belongs generally, top five, top six, something like that. D'Angelo Russell is always getting overdrafted. You know, he's, he's popcorn city. There are issues in his game that people overlook because he scores and assists and hits three-pointers. Uh, the other guys on Minnesota, there are some there are some avenues here. And if you kind of look at, like, the last 10 games of the season for that club, um, Malik Beasley is intriguing. Finished out the season strong. James Johnson actually finished out the year strong, but that's a, that's a roll of the dice. People were all into Juancho Hernan Gomez, and I told you guys, believe me, he's a, he's a poor man's... Um, Lowry Markkinen, and sure enough, that's bore itself out. He was outside the top 125 over that end-of-season stretch. Uh, I don't I don't know how James Johnson puts up that kind of value in 24 minutes a game, but Malik Beasley, provided he does stick around long-term, uh, he, he's the guy you might want to look at. But even then, you're, you're looking at some of that same stuff down the stretch, and he's not going to get 16 shots a night when Cat is in there and healthy. So there's all that stuff hanging over this team going into next year. Uh, On the other side of that equation, the Warriors are in hardcore prove-it mode. It's weird to say this about a team that had been so good for so long, but they're up there, for me, with the Clippers of Western Conference teams. The Blazers, I think, was another one I mentioned as a team I expect to overperform. The Suns uh, are a team that I think is going to really come out guns blazing. The, the Warriors are in that same group. Steph played five games this year. Draymond, 43. Clay zero. They traded for Andrew Wiggins to be... Yeah, Wiggins as a number four guy on a team really isn't all that horrible of an idea. Um, they brought in some young guys to see what they could get out of them. They, they found some little gems mixed in. Marquise Chris was stellar after they finally signed him to a deal right around the All-Star break. Eh, a little bit before that, I think it was. Or maybe it was around the All-Star break. He was he was wonderful the last month of the year for that team. Um, I think he was top 50 over the last 10 games. Something like 13-9 and nine with a bunch of defensive stats. Now, we've heard Kevon Looney is healthy, so maybe that changes the Marquise-Chris outlook a little bit. But overall, this is a team that is ready to push. And I think they realize that it's not going to be a cakewalk. They're going to get... I think they're going to get hit in the mouth a couple of times early in the season because Steph is not 100% healthy. Or he, well, I mean, he should be by the time next season goes. And Clay still coming off of his thing, and everybody's getting older and all that stuff. And they're going to have to put together some, get the, the old gang back together with some new pieces. But overall, that's a team, I think, that wants to make sure they're in the top four in the Western Conference. You might see some back-to-backs rested for Clay coming off of his serious injury although who knows i mean with all this downtime maybe it's a little different uh dre might get a game off here and there but 
I don't know about early in the season either. I think they need to establish themselves first. So I love Steph. Uh, I love Dre. I like Clay. I think there might be some some skipped games in there. I, I don't think you can touch Wiggins. He needs volume to be successful. Uh, if you can put up big defensive stats, I guess that'd be useful. And then, you know, provided the Warriors don't bring in another center, Marquise Chris could be a very sneaky add because he can do a lot with a little, especially when he's now going to be surrounded by so many mega studs. But, you know, we have to wait and see what they do with the uh, the rest of their roster. And that's your Western Conference. Uh, again, the, the quick, the checkmark version here is Lakers. I don't think they push for the regular season. Clippers, yes, they probably do. Nuggets, meh, not really. Rockets, kind of the same as always. Thunder, no. This That's a fade team. At least uh, veterans on that team is a fade. Jazz, I think you could assume they're going to be pushing because they know they're going to be in a fight. Mavericks, same deal. Blazers, absolutely. They have things to prove. I think this. they feel like this next coming season is a chance for them. With LeBron getting a little bit older, Warriors have their guys back, but you know we don't really know what that team's going to truly look like next year. Uh, I think I think Dame's going to be able to convince his troops that they've got a shot if they can add someone with uh, some of their cash coming off. Grizzlies are going to be pushing. Same with a lot of these teams now near the bubble for a different reason, where uh, teams like the Clippers, the Warriors, the Blazers, they're, they're pushing to get home court. They're pushing to, to wipe out some stories of the last year. Uh, Grizzlies, Suns, Kings, Pels, those teams are pushing because they want to take that next step. They want to make the playoffs and have that taste in their mouths for their team this coming year and then uh kings confused a little bit spurs probably a fade wolves a tiny bit of a fade and that's your western conference okay we'll take a break for the weekend i can't believe i got through the podcast baby sleeping kids watching tv show daddy nanny today is hot to trot for podcasts <laughs> thanks for sticking with me here i tried to talk a little faster than usual today maybe you won't have to do this one at one and a half speed Maybe. Please drop a five-star review on the show. I haven't asked you guys that, and uh, I m- mentioned it very briefly on yesterday's show, but I really haven't made a push for it in some time. Uh, we're at 493 reviews. Let's get to 500. Find your friends. Use their phone. Log into the podcast app. Drop a five-star review on the show. If you want to write something nice, that'd be swell. Also, I am Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. More promo on Monday when I actually have help around here. This was Fantasy NBA Today. No longer holding the fantasy. A hoop ball tweets presentation. We'll see you guys in a couple of days. So long. This has been a hoop ball presentation.